You are now listening to the AFL brand. Where we talk interesting stuff about almost everything. Business, family, health, self-awareness, success, marketing. All here on the AFL brand podcast. Welcome to another episode of the AFL Brand Podcast. I am always excited to have conversations uh, with people. You know, growing up in, in my in my career in life, I, I I think the way that you the way that you become a better person is by asking a lot of questions, is by talking to people who've had some level of success. And I've always believed that whether someone is successful or unsuccessful, you can learn from them. My father, who was absent in my life. Um, taught me by default what not to do and so I think whether someone is a great teacher or not a great teacher there are lessons to be learned by their actions and so super excited to have our two guests on today we have uh, Mr. Lawrence Bascom uh, businessman uh, 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 we'll get into those other other titles that he has uh, and then our new apprentice Claude Clark who's just joined our company he's an architect uh, but he's now getting into real estate and so uh, we invited Mr. Bascom on to to kind of chop it up, talk about life, talk about business, talk about entrepreneurship and the like. And so, Mr. Bascom, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So, if we could start at let's 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 go all the way back. Let's where did you grow up? Nuclear family, single parent family. Tell us tell us your backstory. So I'm the last of ten kids. Okay. From a single parent home. Okay. Um, and my father was uh, not involved in my life at all. Okay. Um, he for was a classic uh, deadbeat dad. Okay. As you would say. Yeah. Um, and uh, my mother was the hero mm. uh, because she had to raise all of her ten kids ten by children. herself. Wow. Um, now she had kids with two different men. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, um, neither of them um, uh, really were around when I was coming along. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a synopsis of my family background. Okay, where'd you grow up? Here in Nassau. Where, yeah, which so part of town? Here in Nassau, on Oaksfield. Okay. Um, Humble beginnings. Huh? Ten children. It, it yeah, suggests so that. Yeah. So you have to understand. So my, my mother was a single parent. Yeah. Ten kids yeah. and a straw vendor. Wow. So imagine trying to raise ten kids wow. off of the earnings of a straw vendor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a pretty rough life. Yeah. Right. Um, how humble of beginnings we talking about? You and the ten, you and your siblings, all in one room, kind of thing. Um, so, I'm the last. Right. Uh, so I get, the, I got the best of okay that entire experience uh-huh. from a material standpoint. Right. And what I mean by that is, when we grew up, of course, you know, we had experiences of, including me, of having to tote water and the light going off, and right. you know, you had to sort of do without and. You know, um, uh, my my older brothers and sisters had the worst of it, where they had to live in single room houses right, right. through Broom Street. Right. Um, and uh, by the time I came along, we were in a stone house uh, in Oaksfield. Your mother's own home. Uh, my mother's own home. Okay. Um, that she built and financed herself. What? Uh, without help from from anybody. Totally right? so, out of pocket. Yeah, so it was really incredible. So back in those days, yeah. the lumber companies, Kelly's in particular and some others, I think, 
would um, provide mortgage loans to uh, families um, who purchased their material mm-hmm. from them. Mm-hmm. And I think they would also provide the builders as well. Okay. Um, so this was one way of them increasing their sales uh, by providing, um, they would arrange, I think, through probably whoever their finances were, maybe the family, um, through their own funds. But they, I remember my mother had her mortgage loan through Kelly's. And right. She would go downtown for decades to pay every month. That's where she went to pay uh, her mortgage. That's, um, that's so, the, yeah, it was a really innovative program yep. that they had back then. I'm not yep. so sure, sure if they still have it, but they would evaluate. And you, you really only have to spend a short period of time with my mother to understand that this was a woman who, even though she was um, loaded down with incredible obligations, right. um, if there's one thing about her that you would come to understand very quickly, whatever commitment she made, she was going to meet it. Yeah. Um, so with her kids, uh, she never really tried to scoff off the responsibilities of bringing up her children. Right. Even though she came from a large family herself, and various members of her family wanted to uh, adopt uh-huh. uh, or take some of her kids. Like, give me one of them. Right. You got enough. And that was the thing. That was the thing back then. That was the thing back then. So I have cousins who were not raised by my aunt. Um, but not so with my mom. She right. insisted on raising all of her kids by right. herself, even though it was a struggle, yeah. a serious struggle. Yeah. So, so you know, what I'm reading from that, I, I want to know what of that, so your mother was disciplined, she was honorable, right? She, she, she didn't, as you say, uh, she took care of her responsibilities. What of that have you brought into your adult life? So we'll pause the story for a moment and let's talk about the lessons that you know had to have come from her. The, all of it. I mean, um, at the end of the day, uh, the um, important foundation that she laid for us uh, were three things. Um, one was about mission, mm. understanding what your mission was as an individual. Um, what you know, they say that the two happiest times. Um, in our lives are one when we're born Mm. we come out screaming "Ah!" (laughs) and then the second happiest time they say is when you find out why you were born Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's mission Um, being able to answer that question why am I here what's my purpose and so um, that was one of the things that she really gave us the importance of understanding what our individual mission was and we all do very different things Mm -hmm. um and then values, uh, understanding um, not just uh, why you're here, but what you're going to stand for. Right. Right. So what are those values that are going to drive how you do what you do? Mm-hmm. So things like integrity, mm. accountability, yeah. um, you know, the importance of time, um, the importance of allowing people to express their opinions right. and giving them the opportunity to be heard. Right. Um, the importance of being candid, saying what you have to say um, without fear of reprisal. Mm. Just all of those fundamental values yeah. that become foundational to how you go about conducting yourself. For sure. And then this thing, this intangible thing that I find, boy, if you didn't get that early in life, it's tough to um, develop it later on. Work ethic. Work ethic. Right, work ethic. Yeah. Um, that, um, in my career, I found that uh, there's one thing 
that I have not been able to teach, and it's that. Yeah. Um, that gets taught and, uh, and imbued very early. Yeah. Um, or it becomes tough as hell to yeah. do it later on. And yeah. she, so she gave us those three things. Those right. Mission, values, work ethic. Work ethic. Yeah. yeah. Let, let's talk about that for a moment. <sighs> do you think, what, do, what are your thoughts on our generation and our work ethic? And obviously, you know, based on, based on your business here, you, you get to experience a number of age ranges. Mm-hmm. Do you think our generation to a large degree has, does not, have the same kind of work ethic that was taught in your generation? I think that um, what we have in the current generation, uh, so this would be the millennials, um, is and, and even the generation before that, is this extreme dichotomy um, of haves and have-nots. Mm. Um, and what I mean by the haves and have-nots is uh, what education regime have you been um, either blessed mm-hmm. or burdened with? Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that the uh, young Bahamians who um, have had to endure, for the large part, public education, mm-hmm. um, are being put at a significant disadvantage mm. versus those whose, because of their parents, they were able to afford to go to a private school. Right. Um, and uh, here's one statistic. If you take the first standardized test that we, um, uh, that we perform in the Bahamas is the GLAT-3, mm-hmm. um, and that's done in grade three. Right. If you look at the results of the GLAT-3, um, these are third graders. Um, for those individuals uh, in private school who take that exam, well, somewhere in the neighborhood of at least the numbers that I looked at, to 2015, somewhere around 70% of them pass it. Okay. Now you may say 70%. Right. That's not an extremely impressive number. Mm-hmm. Um, but think about it in this context. Um, and that's private school. The public school students mm. who take the same exam, mm-hmm. 70% of them fail. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. Right? Yeah. Um, and then it just gets worse. GLAT3, which is the next standardized test that we administer. Right. BJC, BGCSE. Right? So it just gets worse, but it starts relatively early. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as you can imagine, uh, most of our families in this country can't afford to send their kids to private school. Right. So most of the kids in our country public have to go to public school. Certainly. And so you see the outcomes. Yeah. Right. We, they, we talk a lot about um, BGCSE results um, and the, you know, I was reading how the results um, came out last week or so in the paper and, uh, and they were worse than they were last year, worse than the year before, worse than the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see this sort of escalating problem of kids not really being prepared right. for life um, as adults right. um, through our education system. Mm-hmm. And you see uh, all of those things that you learn um, in the education system, like um, helping to figure out what your mission is, helping to figure out what sort of values you're going to live by, mm-hmm. helping to develop work ethic. Yeah. Like all of those things that you don't understand are being taught um, at a very early age in our yeah. schools. Yeah. Um, you know, if you go to a school with high expectations mm-hmm. or higher expectations, right. 
you have a fair, you have a higher likelihood of developing those things. Right. If you go to a school that don't have expectations that are very high for you, right, then you have a much lower likelihood of yep. developing those things, and so that gets reflected in what you see happening with young people mm-hmm. um, post school. Mm-hmm. We say, oh, they have no work ethic and so on. I think it's um, too simplified to say that they weren't born that way. Right. Everything they learn, they learn from adults. Right. We as adults are teaching them. Right. And what environment are we teaching them? Um, so we have to. So yes, um, we have um, an inordinate number of young people who don't possess the kind of work ethic that they will need to be able to um, compete for the best paying jobs, mm-hmm. to be able to earn um, a living that is a living wage, yep. um, to be able to um, have careers um, where they, are, they feel as though they're pursuing their true purpose. Um, um, because, you know, they've, they've just not been prepared properly. Right, right, um, right. But, you know, we have the ability to fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, the story isn't all bad. We can fix it. The question is whether or not we will. Right. So you talk about mission. What is your mission, Lawrence? So for me right now, it's changed over the years. Um, and initially, um, what I uh, realized was that I didn't want to be poor when I was when I was young I didn't want to be poor anymore how uh, what age we growing you, up, you, you, when you we were growing up we, we sort of we sort of um, we were poor but it wasn't the kind of poverty that was a violent poverty mm. um, where you felt we felt unsafe um, we um, were without food we were without shelter um, so we had food we had shelter and we had safety at home right. on those fundamental things, um, but that was it. Right. Uh, so you think about you know some of the things that we um, think would make for happy children now, toys and being able to travel and all of that stuff. Yep. None yep. of that stuff really existed. The first time I actually jumped on a plane, I was in college. Okay. The first time I owned a bicycle, I was in college. <laughs> um, so little luxuries that we think um, kids grow up with. No, we didn't have any of those. Right. Right. Um, so I remember my dominant thought um, uh, at, at, at a young age being, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be poor anymore. I need to do something about that. Yeah. And uh, I initially thought I was going to become a banker. It turns out that I was really good at accounting. Okay. And so I went into the accounting field, um, and the rest is history. I um, excelled at it, um, and I thought that's what I would be doing for the rest of my life. Right. Um, at this point in my life, I've discovered that I actually like teaching. Mm. Uh, and so that's why I'm in the environment of it now, where I can teach young people how to run their own business. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. many of them that we work with don't go uh, to college. Right. Um, but you can still learn. Certainly. Um, and an important part of learning is what you learn on the job, mm-hmm. um, not just what you get from school. Yeah. School is very important. Yeah. College is very important. Yeah. I'm not going to discount those because those are extremely important. I endorse those fully. Mm-hmm. I think that every child ought to have the opportunity um, to go to achieve higher education. Yeah. Um, uh, but on-the-job learning is also a very important part of life training. Yes. Uh, and so, and I really enjoy doing that. Yeah. So that's my mission now. How do you, how do you train your staff? Uh, t- tell me how, how that works in, in so practical. The way it happens is we start off by talking about, number one, as soon as they come in, 
and they're accepted for employment. Um, they don't get in front of customers until they go through an orientation that talks about a few things. One, what the mission of this institution is, mm -hmm. and two, what our values are. And we have ten values um, that are shared. Um, and then we ask them the question, what's your mission? Your individual mission, do you know what it is? Right. And if you don't know what it is, spend some time thinking about it and then giving them a framework for how to think about that. Um, and then also asking them the question, what are your values? Right. right. If you're going to be here with us, these are the values that you have to sign on to. If you can't sign on to these values, um, then you have to understand this is probably not going to be a comfortable place for you to work. Right, right. Um, so if you can't sign on to exercising integrity consistently, if you can't sign on to um, valuing the fact that other people have opinions that are different than yours, mm -hmm. giving those opinions the opportunity to be heard. Mm. If you can't sign on to the fact that time is important, right. that you got to show up to work on time, right. show up to meetings on time, right. consistently. Yeah. Um, that... Um, candor is important, that you have to be willing to say what needs to be said without mm. the fear of reprisal, yeah. um, and so on and so on. So we have 10 of those values, and we said these are the things that are really important to us. This is what makes this company work and mm -hmm. tick. Mm -hmm. um, and then we you know, sort of take them through um, their individual areas and talk about what's important for them to be successful in those individual areas. Mm -hmm. We had a... Um, just, uh, and, and we don't really care about um, people's backgrounds in terms of who their family is, um, where they come from, right. um, who they know. Mm -hmm. uh, we that sort of thing doesn't really matter to us. The thing that really matters is performance. Yeah. Um, and we recognize that people make mistakes in their lives, but that's not the end of the story. Right? Yeah. This story continues to unfold. Certainly. Yeah, certainly. How do we help them have a happy ending? Yeah. Right? Or how do we help them start a chapter right. that is better than the chapter that preceded it? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and as an example, one of the things we do is we hire people from um, the prison program. The okay. prison has a work release program. Yes. And we believe very heavily in giving people the opportunity. Um, to make a change in their life. And so when we first started in 2012, we went to the prison and said, look, you know, we'd like to participate in this program. Interviewed some folks. And one of the first people that I interviewed, um, I asked him why he was in prison, and he said, um, for armed robbery. Mm -hmm. And my first reaction was, whoa! <laughs> like, uh, we deal with money? <laughs> armed robbery? Right. That was my first internal reaction. Yes. I didn't react that way externally. Yeah. Um, externally, my next question was, um, why did you do that? Right. Uh, and he said, well, I wanted to open this bar or this club, and it was on East Bay Street. This place was available, and it was only going to be available for a month, and I didn't have um, okay. any money, and I needed okay. $10,000, so I kind of figured that fastest way to get $10,000 was to, so we held up a KFC okay. at gunpoint uh -huh. and was caught on the spot. Hmm. Spent the next 18 years in jail. 18. Uh, and I said, um, okay, um, so 
what you're saying is that you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh -huh. I said exactly. Right, right. Um, but I made a mistake. It was the wrong thing to do. I yep. take full responsibility. I'm exactly where I should be. Um, and I was impressed by the fact that he was honest enough right, to, to tell me yeah. why he was there. Yeah. And I was impressed by the fact that he took responsibility yeah. for what he did right. and the consequences of what he did. Right. And I said, oh, pretty. That's... So I decided to offer him a job. And he came and he uh, worked on the forecourt. Uh -huh. um, as a forecourt CSR. We don't use the term pump attendance. Right. We just use the term forecourt CSR. Okay. And, Ms. Ms. Um, Boscombe, hold one second. Yeah. My battery just died. Let me grab that. It's good stuff. Huh? It's good stuff. Mm. Yeah. Let me see if you can figure out who I'm talking about. You mean one of the VPA the workers? Let me see if you can figure out who I'm talking about. Um... I have no idea. The story will continue. Let me see if you can figure right, it out. Right. Is it someone who presently still works here? No. No, alright. No, he's not here anymore. Someone I worked with? Of course! What you mean? Well, I he was in the first batch. Alright, alright. I think I know. Um, no, no. It, it can't be the short guy who used to do the steel work. Listen to the rest of the story. You'll figure <laughs> it out. You'll figure it out. Apparently it's really, really sweet. The so that's different from Red Snapper? It is. Okay. Yeah. They, they grow pretty big. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> sweet? Very sweet. Okay. I'll bring you a piece. It was a big fish just, uh, to uh, share around. Okay, I'll bring cool. You a piece. Yeah. cool. Where'd you guys go? Um, we went Harbor Island. Right Harbor Island? Yeah, yeah, we went Harbor Island. So, so we left the marina right over there around 7.30 in the morning. Uh -huh. Yeah, we came back about... Seven at night. Woof. Was nice. Who yeah. was this? This was. I went with my coach, uh, David Charlton. Okay. Saw Dragons. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, well, good All stuff. right. So, uh, you don't use the term pump attendance. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, because the, the folks who are working on the forecourt are doing far more than yeah. um, pumping right. gas. Right. As a matter of fact, they don't pump the gas, the pump pumps the gas. Right. <laughs> uh, what they do is serve customers. Yes. In any case, um, this is, it turns out that this guy had incredible work ethic. He would get to work early consistently, and whenever he came to work early, he wouldn't just sit down and wait for a shift to start. He would find something to do. Mm -hmm. So this Saturday, he came in early, and his shift hadn't started as yet. He decided he was going to go and clean one of the bathrooms. Okay. Right? So we inside the bathroom, and I was talking to my friend that just came out of the bathroom. I was talking to him. Um, and he, you know, he came out a few seconds later and said, came up to my friend and said, do you drop your wallet? My friend said, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't drop my wallet. And the forecourt here, so I said, check your pocket. Check his pocket. Turns out his wallet was gone. Uh -huh. He said, I found this in the bathroom, and I noticed that you were the last person in there, so I kind of figured this was yours. The wallet had about $600 in it. Um, and no one was 
there's no, there are no cameras in that bathroom. Right, right. So um, he could have you know, easily pocketed yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No yeah. one would have known. Yeah. My friend wouldn't have known. He, he didn't right? know, right? Yeah. Um, and I was really, that got my attention. Yeah. Um, shortly after that, uh, we brought him inside and had tested him out with merchandising. Um, and he excelled at that. And we actually decided, you know what? Let's give him an opportunity to cash. Okay. You know? Yeah. I remember his background, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he excelled at that. Uh-huh. He became a head cashier. Um, shortly after that, he became a team leader. Okay. Within six months, he became a supervisor. From him being hired, and he became a supervisor while he was still in prison. Right, right. Um, and when he got out of prison about a year later, um, he stayed on, um, and he said that, look, you know, I really want to eventually run my own business. That's what I've always wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we rotated him through the rest of the organization. He learned the back office. He learned how to evaluate the profitability of the business, um, how to put uh, gross profit analyses together, mm-hmm. um, how to uh, work on a marketing plan, um, how to evaluate the product lineup to see what's not working, what's working, and so on and so on. Essentially, how to run a business. Right, right. Um, and eventually, he went off and established his own business and it's extremely successful. Mm-hmm. Um, met someone um, who was one of our customers. They got married. They now have a daughter. Okay. Um, so, that's what I mean yeah, by... Yeah, that is an amazing um, story. By teaching. Uh, teaching yes. Um, and... Um, creating an environment where people can learn um, and establishing a protocol for um, how they go about learning the lessons that um, we want to teach them. Right, right. Exciting. <laughs> it's funny. I I started myself as a as a as a what do you call it a four court CSR mm-hmm. right up the street here at um at uh, Harbor Harbor Bay, mm. and so I I similarly. Um, and I talk about this agent for life being a mentality and so same kind of mindset that the guy had how can I do more how can I excel started there as a pump attendant fresh out of school and worked my way up to essentially second in line at the station all throughout the ranks merchandising cashier supervisor the whole the whole deal so I I know that story very very well Mm -hmm. Um, so okay let's let's go back because because now uh, we we talked about your upbringing, and so I wanna wanna go through that and see what else we can extract from that that make made you who you are today. And so we primary school. Which where'd you go? Oaksville Primary. Oaksville High School. H O Nash. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. After H O Nash, the last two years of high school was the only private schooling that I got at St. John's. St. John's. Okay. Yeah, the rest of it was public schools. And because your grades were that well, you got a scholarship, or you? Oh no, no, no. We had to had to pay for that. Okay. Okay. Um, I I was never good at taking standardized tests. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so um, that was the where I took the um, exam to get into St. John's High School. Right. Um, but I failed it. Uh-huh. Because my um, test results were poor. Right. Fortunately, um, I've had some really good scores on my BJCs. Okay. Um, and because of my BJCs, they let me into St. John's. Okay. Yeah. How'd you fit in there? Really well. Um, I was on mission, right? So, 
When I got to St. John's, most of the kids who were in my class in Form 4, because St. John's only went up to the fifth form, um, uh, most of the kids who were in my class um, had been there for a while. So these were, um, these were they were experienced in the St. John's culture. Right. I was learning right. um, the culture for the first time. Um, they knew each other. But I was the kind of... Um, I had a couple of things. One, one is, I knew that um, I was there to learn. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I wasn't there to try and make friends yes. or anything. Even though that's an important part of Certainly. developing as a person, Certainly. and an important part of being able to socialize and know, de develop the social skills that will make you help you to become successful later on in life. Right. right. But at that point, the academics were far more important right. and urgent right. for me. Right. Um, and after school, I didn't have time to socialize. I had to leave because we had to go downtown and sell bags because okay. we were the sales team of my mother. <laughs> my mother was a straw vendor. She would make the bags at home. Yeah. And then we would go downtown after school and sell them to the straw vendors. Um, so oh, and then okay. the straw vendors okay. would finish them off and sell them to the tourists. Right, right, right. Um, so she was a straw vendor who didn't work in a straw market. Okay. She worked at home. At no time. She was always kind of she a provider. She was always working at home, yeah. So she, she, had the, she figured out... Um, how she was going to fit into uh, that value chain, yes. the straw value chain, yes. without having to be in the straw market because she had 10 kids that she had to raise. Right. Um, and she didn't have anyone who could take care so of them. So she was mostly so she at, home at home So she figured, okay, you know what? These straw vendors, they need yeah. this type of bag. Yeah. I can make these in bulk. I can do them at home. Right. And then I can send my kids out to the straw market yeah. to sell them to them. And, you know, so the old, and so it would always be the older kids. Right. So I didn't start selling going to the market to sell bags until I became old enough. Okay. So I was the last, my brother and I were the last of the sales crew because right. we were the last two. Right, right, right. Um, and, but anyway, so I focused on academics exclusively uh -huh. and I did really well. Um, my mother always had this uh, um, regimen where um, you were encouraged to focus on academics um, uh, and there was also this, this uh, a stick. So you got some carrots, but you also, she also had the stick, and the, the stick was, if you brought, my mother didn't make it past the eighth grade. Okay. Right? Yeah. But she could tell the difference between an A and a B. Right. And a C. <laughs> and anything below that was just not acceptable. And, right? and so, if I may interject uh -huh. for a moment, 10 children, was she a real disciplinarian? Oh, yeah. She oh. went... Ooh. She'd bruise you right she off. came from the old school. <laughs> okay. Straight from the old school. Right. You know exactly what that yeah, means, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you brought home something that was, you know, lower than a C, um, you wasn't getting no lunch for school. Okay. Right? You, was, you wasn't getting, you know, and, and or or you wouldn't get anything to drink. Right. You know, so you right. have to drink from the school water fountain. <laughs> and, you know, if you have to drink from the school water fountain, the tits keys yeah, teasing yeah, yeah, you yeah, because yeah, you ain't yeah. got no juice. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you, you're bad. That's the equivalent of the lunch you, program. I mean, right. so, yeah, so, um, uh, and the only way that she would continue to pay for the tuition at St. John's out of her meager straw vendor yeah. earnings yeah. was if I brought home grades that were superior. I had to. Right. She said, if you don't justify you being there, you're going back to government school. Right. Um, so I did well, um, and uh, uh, yeah, I had a very, very successful time in St. John's. Okay. Yeah, what did you graduate with? Three point. I don't. 
don't remember what my graduation GPA was, to be honest. I, I don't. Okay. Um, um, I do know uh, that, and I can't remember how many BGCS, it was BJC's, no, it was GCE's back then. Mm -hmm. GCE's. Mm -hmm. This is in 1982 when I graduated. Right. Um, I know that I got enough GCE's that I got into COB without having to go through college prep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you went to COB. You went to COB. Did you decided on accounting? Yep, I did accounting. With your mother's uh, instruction, or she kind of like oh, no. you? My mother didn't tell any of us what to do. Okay. Um, we had to figure that out ourselves. Okay. Someone smoking. It does smell that way. Because maybe maybe this guy. Is, uh... yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, when I buy smell smoke, I get paranoid because we you know right. gas around right. here. Um, uh, yeah, so we all had to figure out what um, what our course was going to be, right. what mission we were pursuing. Mm -hmm. um, and mine was accounting, and that was, yeah. Okay. How did you fund your college? How did you do that? Scholarship. Scholarship. So when I first went to COB, that was the other thing. There was no money to pay for it. Right. My mother didn't have the money. My father wasn't involved. Um, and so, but her expectation was, you know, you're, you're, you're going to college. There's no... Because in my in my mother's house, there were two things. If you didn't go to college, uh -huh. then you had to immediately start supporting the family. <laughs> okay. Right, which means that you had to give a proportion of your compensation towards the mortgage. Right. You had to give a portion of it towards the light bill, right. towards the water bill, right. uh, towards groceries, right. and so on. The only way that you were exempt from that responsibility is if you went to college. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I could work to pay bills or I could go to college and learn something that could help me for the rest of I go to college. <laughs> right? right? Easy choice for us at least. Right. How many of your siblings uh, prior to had, had gone to college? So, um, a, a number. Okay. So, I had um, you know, an older brother who had gone um, off to college in the U.S., as a matter of fact. So okay. He was a real pioneer mm -hmm. uh, where he went to, he, he always wanted to go to college. Um, and there was no college here at the time. Um, I mean, he didn't want to be a teacher. There right. was a teacher's college here in the early days. Right. Uh, but he didn't want to be a teacher. He wanted to be, he wanted to go into business. And so somehow he found a way to go to college in the U.S., but he couldn't, when he got there, um, his, his academic skills weren't up to par. Um, so he had to go back to high school. Mm -hmm. And he went to a high school in Miami. Um, to get his academic skills up to par, and then he went to was able to apply to go to college. Okay. So he was the real pioneer. This mm -hmm. is back for us. This is back in the '60s and '70s. Right. Right. Um, and uh, and then um, I had a sister who preceded me in, in college. I had a sister who was already in COB. Uh, so yeah, by the time I came okay. along, so you had some examples. Yeah, yeah. So you did. You would you get your bachelor's, associates? So I did my associates. Right. At the time, I don't think. Um, COB at the time offered anything higher than the associates, right? Um, and that's what I did. And then where? And afterwards, uh, so I graduated um, at the top of my class in the accounting program. Okay. Um, and then started applying for jobs. Okay. Couldn't get a job. So I sent my resume all over the place, and I couldn't get a job. And I couldn't get a job because I didn't know anyone. Right. My family didn't know anyone. Right. Um, we didn't have that connection, yes. as they say. Yes. 
And so um, the only job I could get was a job renting motorbikes. Okay. So I rented motorbikes on the street for a few months. Yeah. And I continued applying for jobs. Um, and eventually, uh, I got a call back from Deloitte uh, and got interviewed by Frankie Wilson. Okay. Um, and it was an interesting interview because he started, you know, talking about my grades all the way back to junior high school. Okay. He said, well, why'd you get a C here? You know, why'd you get a... And I had to, I had to explain that. Right, right. right? Um, uh, and I didn't understand why he was going back to you know, my junior high school yeah, in grades. Yeah, and yeah. I had to explain what was... And then, and, you know, and I said, well, if you'll notice that I got a C there, but you'll also notice that in the next class I had um, in this particular area, I got a whatever, right, grade, right. because I really buckled down and focused, and I think he was asking that to rattle me, to mm. see how easily rattled yes, I was, yes, yes, yes. Um, and to also find out what my mental makeup was, right? right. Where was my head at? Right. <clears throat> and the, the interview lasted for probably about an hour. Okay. Uh, um, and... At the end of it, he hired me on the spot. Okay. Um, and that's when my career as an accountant started. And where was, which company was this? Deloitte. Deloitte. So okay. at the time, it was Coots, Laventhal and Horwath. Okay. And F.R. Wilson and Co. Okay. So he was really one of the pioneers wow. in bringing the, what you would call then Big Eight right. uh, to the Bahamas. I mean, um, there were other Big Eight firms here before. So there was Pricewaterhouse that was here. Right. I think Cooper's and Librand was here. Ernst and Young was here, but Deloitte was not here. Right. Um, so he was the one I think that was instrumental in Deloitte. And he, and he must have been. Franchise. If we're talking, we're still in the eighties. Yeah, we're still we're talking nineteen eighty-two. So sorry, we're talking nineteen eighty-four. Nineteen eighty-four when I started working for Deloitte. Maybe mid thirties, early forties. Frankie, that is. Yes, he was in his. He was in his. Uh, late thirties at that point. Yeah, yeah. So he was—he's always been a pioneer, right. doing things relatively early. If I'm not mistaken, I think he was the youngest member of parliament when he was elected as a member of parliament back in the sixties and seventies. Okay. Um, and yeah, so he's yes, he's, exceptional. He's, yeah, quite exceptional. Okay. So you do how many? How long there? So I was at Deloitte for in the Bahamas for. Um, five years in total before I got transferred abroad for some international experience. Okay. Um, and I remember, um, you know, when you come from the background that I came from um, and you get a job working in an office, right? Um, you, everything's new. Yeah, certainly. Um, I didn't have family members. I mean, my brother who'd come back from college and was working at Burns House at the time was working, but, you know, he'd already moved out. He was living in his own place. So I didn't have that interaction where I learned how to navigate an office environment. Right. I mean, I spent my whole career renting motorbikes or selling bags in the straw market. Right. Right? I had to learn everything. I had to learn how to dress. Yeah. You know, I couldn't wear salt and pepper pants, right? With yeah. maroon shoes and yeah. Yeah. maroon socks and a tan leather tie. Like I did the first time I showed up for, for work, people looked at me like, ah. you know, what, what exactly is this? Right. Um, you had to learn um, how to exhibit um, a different type of work ethic uh, in the office environment. So uh, when I first started, I was trying to figure out, okay, how do, how do you navigate in this environment? I noticed that people got in, the work hours were nine to five. Mm-hmm. 
So I would get on it, okay, at, by the second day, I said, okay, I'm going to get at nine. And I noticed that everyone was heading out the office at five. I said, okay. So by the third day, I was heading out the office at five. Okay. And I think that third day, I was heading out at five on the button. Uh, and Mr. Wilson was coming in. He must have been out of a meeting or something. Uh-huh. And he looked at me and he said, where are you going? Right. I said, oh, it's five, five o'clock. o'clock. It's knocking off time. He right. says, what? Come into my office. Yeah. I said, oh, Lord, don't tell me I can get fired. <laughs> On your third day. started. <laughs> and he said, um, what do you want out of this firm, mm. out of this experience? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, um, I didn't know what the quote-unquote correct answer was right, right. to give him. So I just decided to give him an honest answer. Okay. And I said, honestly... At some point, I want to be sitting in your chair. Mm. And he said, okay, I'm happy to hear you say that. Right. If you want to be sitting in my chair, here's what you're going to have to do. And he just sort of schooled me. Yeah. Told me that, um, you know, I can't be watching the clock. Right. Um, just because the start time is nine um, doesn't necessarily mean that I can't come in earlier. Right. Just because the knocking off time was five, was five doesn't mean that that's when I have to leave. And I said, that's true, but um, you have to understand that I didn't have anything to do. He said, and you have to fix that way of thinking, too, that you don't have anything to do. There's no such thing here. We always have things to do here. Look at me. I'm just coming back into the office, and it's after five, because there are tons of stuff to do. And I said, well, you know, people gave me some stuff to do, but I finished all of it. And, And then he cut that argument off, too. And he said... If someone gives you something and you, you get done early, go back to them and say, I'm done. Is there anything else I can do? Right. He said, eventually you're going to get to the point where you don't have to ask them if there's anything else you can do. You'll learn what else there is to do, and you'll start doing it without anyone having to ask you to do so. Right. When you get to that point, mm-hmm. you're going to discover that there's so much stuff to do. Yeah. You can't possibly do it between 9 and 5. Right. And so... Of your own volition, you're going to be getting in earlier, and you're going to be leaving later. Right. And if you really want to be special, what's going to end up happening is you're going to realize that there are very few people who are willing to actually do that, who are willing to go beyond the right. call of duty, and to do those special things like working long hours because their work product is what they want to speak for them mm-hmm. and talk about what they're all about. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to find that you're one of the few people doing that or maybe even the only person in the office and if you let that discourage you once again you're probably not going to end up where I'm sitting that conversation that he had with me that probably lasted about 45 minutes to an hour completely changed my life completely he basically gave me the formula yeah um, for how to stand out right um, and the rest is history wow game changer Early mornings, early mornings, late evenings from there. And it wasn't so much about the early mornings and the late evenings. That was just the result. Right, right, right. The time that I got in was the result of how I started to think. How I started to think was, how do I produce work that says, get get someone else to look at it and say, who did this? Mm -hmm. My goodness. Mm -hmm. How do I uh, produce a volume of work Mm -hmm. where people say, How'd you get all of this done? Right. Um, how do I get all of that accomplished yeah. while I'm here in this space at this firm? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so that then people start to look at me as someone who isn't average. Right. Right. The work hours is just the result right. of thinking like that. Right. Right. Because if you try to get in early and stay late, that's um, that's boring. Yeah. Right. Yeah. On the other hand, um, if you try to through your work say something something about you is special. Yeah. Now there you can actually have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. you get a project to work on and you say to yourself, I'm gonna knock this out of the park. Um, or you're not that busy and you go to someone and you say, uh, uh, I gotta be able to help with something. What you working on? How right. can I help? Right. Right? Right. Um, or someone didn't ask you to do something but you know it needs to be done. And so you just go and do it. There's yep. some copying that has to be done. Yep. So you just grab the batch and you go copy. Yep. As opposed to thinking, I ain't a copy. Exactly. You know, the secretary can do that. Right. 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 Whatever the work is that needs to be done, do it. you go and you do yep. it. Yep. Um, if there's someone else who's working harder than you, you're not working hard enough. Yeah. Um, if you take that approach, um, then the work hours is just the result of, of, of taking that approach to thinking. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That is that is that is that is nice. Okay, so so you you move up the ranks. You do four four years here. Tell me, tell me how this this mind shift then manifested in 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 your upward mobility through the company. So, um, as a result of me investing that amount of myself into the firm. The firm said, okay, we're going to invest in you. And so they um, sponsored me to take the CPA exam. Um, they paid for it. Um, and more importantly, they gave me the time off to study for it. Um, they also sponsored me to go to uh, the University of Miami to, to do enough um, courses towards taking the CPA exam because I only had an associate's degree. Right. And you couldn't take the CPA exam with just an associate's degree. Right. You needed more um, accounting classes to yep. be able to do that. And so they paid for that. Um, and uh, and then you know I was able to pass the CPA exam on the first try. Uh, and um, and then that was '87. And then for another two years. And then they gave me increasing levels <coughs> of responsibility um, right. at the firm. So they gave me more complicated audits much larger clients. Um, they threw stuff at me sooner than I thought I was ready. Um, and I found out that, okay, I can actually do this. So they mm -hmm. kept testing my limits. They kept testing um, my right. limits. And every time they threw something at me, um, the last thing I was prepared to do was to fail. Yeah. That I would do anything in my power not to fail at whatever project it was that they right. gave me. So that meant that I had to come in some ridiculous hour mm -hmm. um, or stay for some ridiculous hour mm -hmm. I was going to do that because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. failure was just not, not something an option. yeah not an option for me so you're about 25 26 now and you're about to go off actually I'm 23 right? you're 23 so, right, yeah, right, right. So, so what happened is uh, I started working for the firm when I was just about to turn 18 I was okay. 17 okay um, and so um, in 89 um, I was 23 okay um and uh, they said, okay, it's time for you to get some international experience. And, and before we go there, because I was thinking about this as you sat with him. I, I'm, so back to your childhood, did, 
selling straw bikes, selling sco renting scooters. Were you a great salesman at this point? Were you a great communicator? Were you reasoning? Were you self-aware at this point? It's a great question. And I think what I learned in those moments um, became more important after I went abroad. Mm, okay. Because okay. I had another phase of my career that had to happen. And those early lessons didn't manifest themselves okay. until later on. Okay. Because early on, I was um, really focused on my technical skills. Okay. So, you know, um, I was just incredibly technical around accounting. Mm -hmm. um, there was no accounting rule I didn't master. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was more important for that. Um, my, you know, I, I wasn't required to sell work. All the work was sold by the partners, and right. they basically gave me right. the work to do. Yeah. Um, um, but those other skills, how to sell, um, how to actually interact with people who would not like me, right. um, how to be able to listen to what someone else has to say and figure out what they really mean, mm. as opposed to just focusing on what they said. Mm -hmm. um, uh, all of those skills became more important uh, later on. Okay. Yeah. So, but certainly, the the being willing to take on um, work that was uncomfortable or hard, uh, but necessary. Those early experiences in the straw market, renting motorbikes, definitely helped me right. um, when I got to the firm from the get go. Right. So, introvert or extrovert? Introvert. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Soft spoken. People don't believe that now, but <laughs> I was very much an introvert back then. Yeah. I was um, I was singularly focused on um, school and church. That was it. Okay. Um, if I wasn't, uh, uh, you know, when I was in high school, all the way through, as a matter of fact, all <laughs> the way through, through my first uh, few years at the firm, I was either... You know, before I got to the firm, I was either at school, mm -hmm. in the straw market, or in church. Okay. Um, when I was in college, college, um, um, or church. Started working, I was at work, or I was in church. Um, I was just not, not an extra. Then I tried to get myself out of that introverted um, mindset. Right. By joining organizations like Toastmasters. Okay. Because I recognized, as a result of joining the firm, I saw these partners would be going out in the evenings and giving a speech here or giving right. a speech there. Right. And I realized, okay, if I want to eventually be like that one day, yes. I have to learn how to speak publicly. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know, how can I learn how to um, make public presentations and be effective? And, uh, and then I joined Toastmasters. Right. Um, and that helped me a great deal. Let's... let's, let's. Because self-awareness is, um, is, is a topic that's not really spoken of. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there you display a, a level of self-awareness, realizing, hold on, if I want this, I, I need to brush up on this. Yeah. Now, by your mom being such a disciplinarian, was she adamant about you guys speaking proper in the home? No, 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 mom. Okay. Mom, we, we, we talked so much the same in it. What? <laughs> I think so. So, so you, uh, you have to understand, right? 
So English is a second language for me. Okay. Right? Um, and English is a second language, I think, for a lot of Bahamians. Right, right, right. Because we grew up speaking Bahamian. Yes. Right? Yes. And then at some point we learn English. Yes. Right? Um, uh, and this, you know, that's no different for me. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, so, no, when, when we was at home, we wasn't talking, though. Uh, right. <laughs> no, no. I gotcha. Uh, sentence structure and right. grammar and all of that. Stuff. No. Okay. Uh-uh. All right. Um, okay. So, so, so they call you in a meeting. They say, Lawrence, we want you to go to where? It, initially, um, they wanted me to go to uh, London. Okay. And I didn't want to go to London wow. because. Um, I grew up in the British system. Okay. Right? Having grown up here in the Bahamas, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of our systems are very British-driven. Yeah. The school system. And you uh, haven't traveled uh, at this point? Huh? You have not traveled yet? Well, the only travel I have done uh, would have been uh, when I was in college. I went to, the first time I, was, I went out of the country was when I was in college. And I, oh, in college, that's true, I joined this organization in college called Circle K. Okay. That was when I really started to get out of being such an introvert. Um, uh, and uh, they, we had this trip to Atlanta. That mm-hmm. was the first time I traveled out of the country. Then okay. we had another trip to Jamaica. Okay. And then um, when I was working at Deloitte, um, we had some training trips abroad to Philadelphia. And then um, we had one to uh, and then I went to school in Miami right. uh, for some semesters. Okay. Um, but but still, I mean, I, I our our Britishness right. was very front and center in my mind. Understood. You know, Understood. Our system of government. Yeah. Um, our school system. Um, how we spoke. Yes. Uh, very very British. Yeah. Our justice system, the whole thing. Um, so I said. And also, um, the way that we modeled our social structures was very British. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the British system is a very um, class-based society. Right. Um, and that's how we grew up here in this country as well. Yeah. You know, that we grew up um, as a you know, fairly classist society, even yeah. within the black community. Certainly, certainly. Uh, I said, I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't want that. I wanted mm-hmm. to be in an environment where my success or failure wasn't based on um, whether or not I came from the right family. Understood. Um, whether or not I belonged to the right club. Right. Um, I, I wanted to be based on my own efforts. Right. So I said, nah, I don't want to go to London. Okay. Because uh, I thought that would just be another um, classes right. environment to be in. So you rejected the London offer. So I said, and then they said, oh, okay, let's do Toronto then. Let's do Canada. Okay. Yeah, Canada is a derivative of England, so. You you were were iffy on on Canada as well, okay. I said, nah, I don't want to go to Canada. Okay. And they said, where do you want to go? And I said, I actually want to go someplace that is the complete opposite of where I grew up. Okay. And the place that I thought would be the exact opposite was New York City. Ah, okay. Never been there before. Yes. And everything I heard and read about it was, this is a crazy place. And I said, since it's going to be 18 months, let me do that. Um, and that's where I went. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, and so you're doing, what's your title now? Still a senior, so I'm still staff. Right. I'm still at a you know, relatively um, low level in the organization. Right. So you, you join as an associate and then uh -huh. you move to senior associate and then move to senior, um, which is three levels removed from uh, from the bottom. And, and so you would um, be the person, we have a company that needs to do an audit, they're giving this to you. You're leading the charge, you might have a junior associate with you. You're the, you're the one that's, you're the one that's the most senior staff person on the engagement, so you're doing all the work right. with the team that's with you. Right. And you're leading the team. But above you sits a manager. Right. And above that manager sits a partner. Okay. Right? Right. So the highest level is a partner. Um, right below that is a, it really sort of two levels below that is a senior manager, mm -hmm. then a manager, mm -hmm. then a senior. Mm -hmm. The senior is there every single day getting the work done. Right. Um, with the rest of the team. And the senior is responsible for directing the team. Yeah. Um, the senior manager and manager. They're there periodically because they have other engagements that they're responsible for, mm -hmm. so they move around. Mm -hmm. um, so they drop in periodically to see how you're doing. Um, and you report to the manager or the senior manager. Right. And the partner is hardly ever there. Right. right? They're, the one, they're the ones that go out and sell the business and bring it in. Yes. And, and they may drop in every now and then just to yeah. sniff the air and yeah. see, okay, yeah. everything okay here? Yeah, all yeah. right. You know, let me go sell some more business. Right, right, right. So um, they're mostly interacting directly with the senior executives in the organization, or they're in their office. Okay. So you get to New York. Mm -hmm. You got housing. I had to go look for housing. My. Um, you're 23. I'm 23. <clears throat> the office is in the World Trade Center. Okay. Um, on the 99th floor. Okay. Uh, and um, I got to find where to live. Mind blown when you go in there? I mean, this is like, oh, whoa, I'm so excited. This was next level or what were you? I was, I was, um, I was excited about the opportunity. Yeah. I, I wasn't, I wasn't um, really in awe. Okay. Um, I've, I've, I've always focused so much on what I had to do. Right. Because I was mission driven then as well. Right. Right. So, for example, you know, when I got to St. John's College, um, having come from a public school, I was too busy uh, focused on academics. Right. To be concerned about, oh my goodness, I'm going to school with these private school people, <laughs> right, right, and, right. and this, you know, yeah. um, and and the same thing happened when I got to New York. Right. I I was so focused on okay, how am I going to knock the ball out of the park? that I didn't really have time to focus on. This is New York, oh my God, right. look at this office, and the right. fact that we're in the 99th floor, and this is an awesome view, and yeah. I mean, I sort of had moments like that, yeah. but that was just, I was just And that, that seems to be such a big deal for a 23-year-old. Yeah. Company send you away, you essentially get to select where you go, mm -hmm. you're senior at 23, totally missed you for the most part. No, 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 just only in those initials. I mean, I got into New York life in a complete way. Okay. Completely. I, yeah. I really dove in. But for the first few years, I was really excessively, I was spending a, an enormous amount of time at work. Enormous. Yeah. yeah. Um, the hours were, were brutal. Um, not brutal because, I mean, they're brutal because that's what you're expected to do. Right. Um, but more so 
more brutal because that's what I wanted to do. Right. And I kind of figured that my time frame was short, so I had to pack in as yeah. much learning as I could. Yeah. So I really was at work for most of my waking hours. Right. Um, do you think that success requires obsession? No. No. To work. I, I, first of all, I think I, I buy into the Maya Angelou's um, definition of success, um, which I think she said success is about um, liking who you are, mm. liking how what you do, and liking how you do it. One more time. Liking who you are. Yes. Liking what you do. Right. And liking how you do it. Okay. Um, and for me, all of those all of those boxes had been checked. I liked who I was. Yes. I really liked what I was doing, and I really liked how I was doing it. Okay. And so the time that I spent at work for me wasn't really work. Right. Um, people say that, and it's true. So I understand, for example, what a um, successful sports, what, what a successful athlete might say, where they're playing golf, right? Um, and you see them winning all these championships. Mm -hmm. uh, what you don't see is the extreme amount of hours of practice that they put in. Right. right. You see the glory at the end, yes. right? But for them, Putting in that work in practice for them, they say, isn't really work. It yeah. feels like they're just, you know, they're having fun. Right. And they can't believe that they get paid to do this. Right, right. I felt the same way. Understood. I felt the same way. That, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. This is so much fun. <laughs> I mean, of course, I want to get paid more. Yeah. Because I want to make sure I was able to pay my rent and then pay all of these taxes that they stick on you when you're living over there. Right. It's like, whoa, FICA and federal and state and right. city and oh my God, right? Um, but for me, it was as long as I was learning something new, mm -hmm. um, and I was being challenged intellectually, I was like, I'm there, right. I'm there, I'm all over it. Right. Um, and I think that's why it's so important for people to identify and pursue mission. Because if you get that, mm -hmm. then what you spend your time doing is just in service to that mission, mm. and it ought to be fun. Right. It ought to be fulfilling. Right. Yeah, yeah. It ought to feel less like work and more like purpose. Right. How does someone like Claude, Claude, how old are you now? 27. 27. Maybe a little bit younger than Claude, but, but Claude is still very much, you know, kind of figuring out life to a large degree, and, 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 and likely all of us are, no matter what yeah. age, right? But how does someone, maybe just coming out of school, find mission? That's the thing that I find is the most difficult. Um, and the thing that people don't spend enough time on. Um, because it's so difficult, you need to spend a lot of time trying to figure that out. And it's not given the amount of attention that it deserves. Right. I was very fortunate. I was fortunate that um, I fell upon something that it turns out I was really good at and I loved. Right. So when I was in junior high school, H.O. Nash, 
the way I ended up in accounting is I was in junior high school uh, and I was walking home this day with this friend of mine who was telling me about his uncle. Uh -huh. Oh, I just spent the weekend with my uncle and man, he drives this big fancy car and he lives in this nice house and man, you need to see his girlfriends. They bow! <laughs> I was like, whoa! Wait a second! He planted a seed? <laughs> I was like, Good, you know. Of course, you know, as a young kid, yeah. I was like, yeah. I don't know, 12, 13, right? right? I'm like, mine. I was like, what your uncle just do? Right, right. He said, he's a banker. Yeah. I was like, I doing banking. Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> so, of course, at the HNS, there were no banking classes. Right. So, when right. I got to St. John's, um, I said, okay, I'm going to take a banking class. Mm -hmm. I said, you all got any banking classes? They said, no, we ain't got no banking classes. Um, but we got some other business classes. Yeah. So I said, okay, banking is in the business field. What kind of business classes you all have? Oh, we got accounting. Yes. Okay, well, that's, you know, has something to do with business. Right. Okay, I'll do accounting, and then when I get to college, I can study banking. Right. But in the meantime, I took the accounting class, the first class, and it was over. Really? I was like... From, from that time Woof. you knew it. And you were exceptional okay. at math prior to it? No, no. I'm actually terrible at math. Okay. Um, I was good at arithmetic. Okay. And this is probably the misconception about math, about accounting, that you have to be good at math. Not true. Mm. Um, accounting is really um, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And accounting is very much so logical thinking. Mm -hmm. Very much so logical thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, trigonometry, geometry, algebra, calculus, and so on, um, you have to take those classes as part of your college courses in some cases, right. um, but not as part of the accounting curriculum. Right. That's not part of the accounting curriculum. Right. So you right. don't have to do those things to be successful Understood. in accounting. Understood. Um, but you do have to be able to... Um, spend time with numbers, Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I can look at a spreadsheet and have a field day. Um, other people look at it and they get a headache. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if that's if you discover whether or not that's your purpose right. pretty quickly. Right. Um, and I discovered that, jeez. Yeah. yeah. What elective did you do? I did accounting, economics, computer. Was that year three? Was they combined like that? In St. No, John's? no, I went, I went to CO. By the time I got to COB. St. John's, back, back in high school, did they give you the, we have, so I went to government high. Oh, okay. And, and you have to pick these electives. Accounting came with uh -huh. computer and economics. Was that kind of how it? I think when you went, well, first of all, when I went to <laughs> St. John's. Different. <laughs> There was no computer class. Okay, okay. Right, 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 right. <laughs> right okay. Still, we still wrote the accounting yeah. entries in oh, ledgers, right? right? In ledgers. Right, you know, right, we, right. We, there was none of that. The first computer class I took was when I got to COB. Okay, right, yeah. right. What'd you do? Um, I did geography, I did art, I did Spanish, okay. and I think it was physics as well. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Uh, tu hablas español? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay, okay. All right. Fluid? No, no. Conversational? Apu. Oh. Very little. Very little. Very, Very little. little. Okay. okay, cool. So you were you originally went to New York for 18, with the plan for 18 months. 18 months. Did, yeah. it stay, did it end up being longer? It ended up being longer because at the end of a year, um, they said... Um, Neil Lawrence, uh, we, um, 
we like what you're doing. Um, you're a senior. Um, we'd like to promote you to manager, but we're only going to do that if you stay for an extra year. And I said, okay. At the time, at the time I was 24, I think. Um, and um, I said, hmm, manager, 24. Okay, um, you got to call NASA and ask NASA, right? right? So they called back to the firm in NASA and they said, oh, okay, I mean, he gets the opportunity to be a manager in the New York office. Why not for an extra year? Sure. Mm -hmm. So they promoted me to manager. And uh, then when that year, at the end of that year was approaching, they said, you know, if you, um, we have this thing where for a, for a select group of um, our team members, um, we will pay for them to do their graduate degree, um, and you're a candidate. Okay. Um, but that's only going to happen if you stay permanently. Permanently. Yeah. And I said, oh. <laughs> and I did always want to do my master's degree. Right. Um, I said, okay, but you're really going to have to ask NASA about this one. Yeah. So they call back now, so uh, they said, okay, he gets to go to, and what they would do is they would sponsor you to go to an Ivy League school. Okay. You had to get in. Right, right, right. Um, but they would pay for it. Right. Um, they weren't going to help you with the application. You had to go and apply on yeah. your own. And I said, you know, uh, guys, um, I have the offer to go to Wharton. Um, and they say, what? So they signed off. Yes, they signed off. And I applied to get to the Wharton program, got in, and they paid for it. And Did your master's, master's in accounting at Wharton? No, not accounting. So when you go to um, to Wharton, the master's is in business. Business, business, right. Yeah, yeah, right. You can have a number of different areas that you focus on. Yeah. So mine was finance, because right. that's what uh, Wharton is famous for, right. finance. Um, that's when I had to really brush up on my math. Okay. Because it's heavy, heavy math. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then the other um, major that I had was management. Okay. Because I, uh, there were two things, this is a self-awareness thing. The, the two things I was aware of was, okay, um, I need to be able to handle the rigor of complicated financial instruments. Mm. Because um, having worked in New York for a few years at that point, I had clients that um, had $100 billion in assets. Right. And I was a senior, I was a manager <coughs> on these engagements. Mm -hmm. And they had these really complicated financial instruments, options and futures contracts and so on, that um, I was really phased right. by the complication of the instruments mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the math that went behind it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I knew that I had to um, brush up on my skin. I had to learn what those things were. Right. And that's the reason why I decided to focus on finance. Okay. Um, and then the other thing was um, I was still struggling with how to manage people. Um, that, you know, I, I grew up with a particular kind of dedication to work right. where there was no limit to what I would do to right. get the job done, right. get it done on time, and right. get it done on a standard that was just way yeah. up there. Yeah. Um, everyone doesn't come in with the same mindset. Yes, yes, yes. Right? So how do you get, um, but um, you now have this team to manage. Right. Whatever work 
that team produces is a reflection of you. Right. Um, and you can't go behind everyone and redo their work. Yeah. Yeah. It's There's just not enough hours in the day. Yeah. Because that's what I was doing initially. Mm. First I would go, okay, I would redo this, and then I would redo that. I was like, no, no, no. And then, you know, you try to get hard on people and say, yeah. this is not good enough, and then people will get demotivated, and, right. oh, you know, you don't know how to talk to people, and so I say, I'm not doing something right. So I had to learn how to manage people. Right. Um, and that was my second focus. Right. Okay. Okay. So you, how many years in total you spent at Two. Deloitte? Oh, at Deloitte. Yeah. So I left Deloitte in 2004, so that was 20 years in total. Okay. A total of 20 years. Okay. Yeah. Um, so two years in New York, is that what you're... No, no, no. You, how, how long in New York? I, I never came back to Nassau. What? Foot to Deloitte. Right. Okay. So what happened was that after I went to Wharton, and I graduated in 97, um, uh, no, sorry, I didn't graduate in 97. I went to Wharton in 93, mm -hmm. graduated in 95. Okay. Um, and... Then two years after I graduated from Wharton, um, the firm in New York put me up to become a partner. Um, I was nominated, and I got promoted to partner. Right. How old now? I was 30. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. Um, and you do how many years total in New York? Ever in so any other jurisdiction? York, uh, so I was in New York from 89 to 2004. Okay. And then I got hired uh, to be the CFO of this company in LA. I left. I left Deloitte. Left Deloitte. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to. And I wanted to go into private industry. What um, industry you move into? Insurance. Insurance. Yeah, insurance. Okay. Um, which was because I wanted to balance out that experience that I had in right. in, in public accounting right. and consulting to now work in industry. Um, so yeah. Was it? Did you leave a lot of money on the table leaving the light? You you were on the track. Um, yeah, I mean you're you're a partner, so uh, you you and I was a partner for a while. I was a partner for about seven years, um, and they have this retirement plan for partners that only kick in after ten years. So right. I was three years short of that. Right. Uh, but I made sure that the firm that hired me made up for that. Right? Understood. So, Understood. Uh, there was this retention package that I made them put in right. um, that said, okay, you've got to make up for what I'm leaving on the table yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So whenever you leave someplace and you go somewhere else, you got to be aware of gotta what you're leaving sense. on the table and make sure that that new place is willing to make up for it. This place was in the States as well? Yeah. Which state? California. California. So you moved mm -hmm. from uh, cold climate to hot. How are you dealing with the weather? Was any of that rough for you? Yeah, New York was fine. Okay. I mean, I, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't care. Okay. I didn't care. I didn't, I didn't have this desire to be in a cold climate, but I didn't care that I was in a cold climate because right. I was once again more focused on mission. Mission. Okay. So how many? How long are you do in California? Two years. How big of a company? Um. Um, revenue of about a billion and a half. Okay. Um, established already so, then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. This company's have been around um, since the 50s. What kind of insurance product? Um, auto insurance. Auto insurance. Yeah. Okay. Auto insurance. Big firm then. Mm -hmm. Okay. How long did you do there? A, a year and a half. About a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. And then what? Where are we and now then, in years? And where, then which year are we in now? 2006. 2006. Yeah. Okay. And then... Um, 
for me, um, I had this, I had a choice to make about what direction I was going to take my life in. Mm -hmm. um, and in 2008, um, I separated from my then wife. Okay. Um, and I had a, I had a choice to make about where I was going to spend my time. Because we'd moved back to New York. Was I going to stay in New York? Was I going to come to Nassau? American, Bohemian? Um, American, but to make an extract. Okay. Um, and I decided, you know what, let me spend some time in Nassau. Uh, just to be out of New York. For a bit, right. Because I owned a place here. And, um, uh, and it was a break. And I discovered that I actually liked being in Nassau. I hadn't okay. lived in Nassau since 89. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I discovered, wow, this is actually a great place to live. Yeah. I still believe that. Nassau yeah. is a fantastic place to live. In spite of all of the <clears throat> headline news you hear right. about um, the Bahamas and, and Nassau and so on, this is, this is really an amazing place um, to live in. We have to do um, a better job of making it amazing for everybody. Right, right, right. Not just for some people, yeah. but for everybody. Right. Right. Um, and for me, um, I know that if, if, if I was growing up in Nassau um, at this time, uh, my experience would not have been so good. Right. Because... Once again, my background would have dictated that I would vote, I would have lived in a particular neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. I would have gone to um, government schools, and my experience and my outcome would likely have been entirely different. Mm -hmm. um, and that's mm -hmm. one of the things that we have to fix with our educa public education system. Right. Because I'm a product of our public education right. system from back then. It's not doing the same job today that it did back then. Right. Right. Um, but anyway, so uh, yeah, I, I discovered that I loved. Uh, being an asshole, um, and that's why I decided to stay. Yeah, permanently. Um, and so you, you get back, get back home. Mm -hmm. are, you, are, you, are you traveling back and forth to visit your mom during the time? In so New my York? mom had passed away. Okay. So my mom passed away in two thousand and one. Okay. Yeah, while I was still um, at Deloitte. How'd you deal with that? It was tough. Yeah. Yeah, very difficult because we were very close. Right. Um, I, I was her last, and I was the mistake, because my mom had me when she was 43. Okay. So she'd had nine children already, and you can just imagine, imagine, imagine um, today, yeah. you reading about um, some Bahamian woman who uh, has nine children. Right. And she's a single mother. Um, and then she have one more. Yeah. Imagine what the headline is about. Certainly. Right? Yeah. Certainly. It's like, what? It's just, this is ridiculous. See, this is the same thing. <laughs> this is the reason why these children can't do no better. Right. This, all of, you know, uh, you just flog them. Right? Yeah. You flog yeah. the yeah, mother sure. and you say, um, and that's supposed to be a disaster. Um, Absolutely. Happening. Absolutely. Right? Catastrophe. Yeah. Um, so, so that's right. Uh, that's the in my so my my mom, my mom and I were very very close. Okay, um, but but you maintain you maintain at work. You're 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 um 
this, this doesn't affect your work-life balance, your work ethic? No, no. I mean, because she, I mean, we, I had a pretty solid foundation. Right. Uh, and it was tough losing her. Yes. But she, but what made it um, easier for me was that when she died, she died in my arms. Okay. Right? So okay. I was there. Right, 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 right. I was there when she died. Yes, yes, um, yes. She, she developed ovarian cancer. Okay. She was 78 at the time. Right. Uh, and, um, and she, you know, she had not been ill before, right? Mm, so we, okay. we discovered in January that she had ovarian cancer. She was dead by April. Wow. Um, so very, very quick. Yeah. Uh, uh, sort of diagnosis and then right. final right. Um, uh, and and that helped so you know we, we I was there I was her last and then I was there at the end yeah. and that um, if I hadn't I been you. there it would have been very different yeah but I so was you, had, you had some closure yeah. some yeah, peace by that yeah. okay so you're back in Nassau mm-hmm. and what are you thinking now um, what's next right and what are you what are you presented with? Did did I hear a story about you about a, a like a major real estate sale happening in a New York condo or something of the sort? Well, I mean, when my um, uh, ex-wife and I divorced, we we sold our New York City condominium. Okay. Right. Um, so so that happened as part of that divorce process. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm back in Nassau, and I'm like, what? What's next? Right. Um, and at that point, one of the things that I um, had decided on was that I wasn't going back into corporate, that I wanted to do something that was um, much more um, focused on giving me an opportunity to teach. Um, but and I didn't want to teach in a college environment. Right. Because that would have been easy. Yeah. Right. Um, I wanted to teach in a business environment. I wanted to teach by doing, by showing young people not just um, what to do, but how to do it. Right. Uh, and the best way to do that is to just run a business and use that as your classroom. Right, right. And so in 204, what business do you get into? Well, this is not 204. Remember, this is 2006. We're in 06, well, right. 2008 when um, my ex-wife and I separated. So this is a few, and my divorce took two years. Uh-huh. Um, so by 2010, I was really here permanently. Right. Um, and then a couple of years later, um, 2012, is when uh, we started the Winton Station. Okay. Um, and, yeah, that's, you know, we got our first crop of 25. Um, team members, um, and, and the fun started all over again. I was able to um, pursue purpose in a different way, a different purpose. Not right. in a different way, but I would pursue a different purpose in the same way. Right. How many stations are you up to now? Two. Okay. Winton, you said? Yeah. Where's Winton? So the one that's right on the corner of East Bay and Fal- of, um, Fox Hill and Prince Charles. Fox Hill. Okay. Yeah. All right. Right, right, right. Okay. And you enjoy it? It's, it's fun. I mean, once again, it's, you know, I yeah. got to work with young Bahamians, yep. and it's a lot of fun. Have you ever met um, Ethan Moss? Ethan sure. Moss. Ethan's a very good friend of mine. Yeah. Very good friend of mine. Yeah. He and I went to CFB together. Okay. Okay. We were in Circle K together. Uh-huh. Yeah, accounting um, as well as his background, wasn't it? Accounting is his background. We didn't have the same accounting classes because he was a year, maybe 
we, we, there was a year that separated us. Right. Not because of difference in age, but I think because of when he started. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I know Ethan very well. Okay. He's a really, really superior business mind. Okay. Um, and he's an even more superior human being. Mm. Um, high integrity, amazing work ethic, uh, just um, and, a, and a solid spirit. Just a really, really yeah. all around yeah. solid person. Yeah. Yeah, that's the gas station crew I, I grew up with. Okay. Uh, yeah. so I grew up within that environment. Okay. Okay. How do you know Ethan? From working at a gas station. You worked with him? Yeah. Okay, which one? Uh, I started at Faith Avenue. Okay. And then um, and then uh, one of his right-hand men, uh, Nino Newbold, okay. who left J-Mel. Uh-huh. So I think I may have done a couple of years there after graduating. Nino came here at Harbor Bay to mm. work with one of the retailers here. Okay. Um, and so I spent maybe another four years here. Uh, right at Harbor Bay. Okay. And so that's that's the connection okay. with, with okay. me and, and Jay Mel and that enterprise. Yeah. Um, he's on a roll. He's up to quite yeah. a station. Yeah. How many is he up to now? Uh, seven, eight. Seven, eight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he might likely be the, the biggest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so back to mission. Mission is defined by liking what you do. Loving. It's more about success, right? right. So success. Right, this, success. This is this is um, what I've read that um, that Maya Angelou said about what success is, and it's the one thing that I've read about success that resonated with me more than any other definition of success mm-hmm. that I've read, um, which is success is liking who you are, yeah, liking what you do, yes, and liking how, how you, you do, do it, it. right. And so in this, in where you are now, you feel that again. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And we, we have to, we have to recognize that um, success is not about making a bunch of money. Yeah. That's not what success is. Right. Right. Um, even though when a lot of times when we talk about people who are very successful, immediately that is what jumps into yes. our mind. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and we use that as a marker right. for whether or not someone's successful. Or unsuccessful, right? right. So someone has made a lot of money. Ooh, wow, they've been very successful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Um, and they could be the most miserable True. person in the world. They've True. made people miserable. Yeah. Um, and they've left the world in a worse place than they met it. Right. But they made a lot of money. Right. right. And they're successful. Right. Hmm. Somehow there's something wrong yep. with Totally agree. Whereas totally someone agree. else who, um, you know, is still having some challenges paying their bills, uh, but boy, you know, they make people feel like they're worth a million dollars. Yeah. Because um, as they go through life, um, they give off a spirit that tells people that they can accomplish more than they think they can accomplish. Right. That helps people to discover what their true purpose is. Yeah. Um, that helps them to be able to cope with difficult times that they're having in their lives. Yeah. Um, that helps them to recover from some tragedy that they've been. You know, so, right. Um, there are people who um, are successful, um, and it has absolutely nothing to do with money. Certainly. And it took me, quite frankly, a while to to appreciate 
um, that broad range of understanding right. what success was. I will tell you that one of the things I, yes, I started off by um, saying to myself, I don't want to be poor anymore. Right. Um, but I never thought that I would be rich, per se. Okay. Um, I, I, I just didn't want to be poor. I didn't right. want to have to worry about paying my bills. Right. Um, but once I got into working, the money was not something I focused on. I always just focused on the work. That, that begs the question. About <clears throat> this philosophy about money making yeah. people happy. And argues the point, do you need to make money to find that out? Um, not everyone needs to. Okay. So, so there are a lot of people that I've met right. um, who have, have not made a lot of money and know that they're not going to make a lot of money and they're happy. Right, right, They're happy right. with that. Right. And that's just fine for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are obviously people who haven't discovered that as yet. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, so, but, but there's no question that having money solves some very practical problems. Certainly. There's no question about it. Certainly. Um, and I think that if you talk to most people um, who've made some money or have some, um, very few of them, if any, are going to tell you, oh, I'll do, I can do without the money. They, they're not going to tell you that. Right. Right? Right. But they will also tell you that um, that doesn't make them happier. Right. Um, or happy. Um, even though, you know, it's sort of crazy to suggest that it doesn't matter. It does matter. Because yeah. we live in a world where, you know, this is, especially in this space that we live in here, this is an incredibly expensive place to live in. Certainly. You know, I do a lot of traveling to different places, um, but, and particularly to our continent, uh, which is Africa. Um, and the cost of living is so much um, lower, mm-hmm. so much lower. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I can get away with um, their spending, I need so much more to survive. Here. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but do you have any questions for Mr. Boston before we wrap up? Yeah, just look. Mm-hmm. Um, is there more to Lawrence Boston besides the, uh, the uh, accounting group, the business group, and the all-around just mission and stickability-driven person? Is there more? Um, I'm trying to make sure that uh, uh, I, in addition to pursuing my mission of teaching, that I connect with who I am and where I come from. Understand that more fully. And the way I'm doing that is by traveling um, extensively to uh, the place that we have been cut off from for so long, and that's Africa. Um, So, so far I've been to 28 African countries. My goal is that before I pass from this earth, I'm going to visit all of them. Okay. Which is how many? 54. Okay. Um, So I have some more to go. Okay. Um, 26 more to go. Okay. And every time I go, um, I discover something new about myself. Right. And discover something new about where I come from. I understand myself better. Mm. And I understand even more so why we were, why why the narrative of what Africa is 
um, in our understanding is so different than what we have been taught. Right. Because the reality is so amazing yeah. that we had to be told the lie that we were told mm -hmm. um, so that we wouldn't know and wouldn't want to know. Uh, because if we knew, uh, I think some very some things would have been very different. Okay. Um, you know, or we would have acted very differently. Right, right, right. right. But let's let's tell them that where they come from is not desirable. Right. Okay. Um. So yeah. So uh, for me, it's about um, understanding myself in a, in a more fundamental way from that perspective. My roots, uh, who my ancestors were, where they came from, what they believed in, and therefore. Um, what my makeup is. Um, uh, James Baldwin said it best when he said that history is not in the past. History is the present. Mm. <clears throat> we take our history with us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are history. Uh, that's what he said. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the truth of that statement is reflected in a lot of what we see going on in our society where we see our black young men in particular and um, our young women who hate themselves and they hate um, people who look like them and that's reflected in what they how we treat each other right so um, you know they would slice up uh, another young black person in a half a second. Right. Um, and they would defer to someone who has a different skin color. Yes. Right? Yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. They have a much higher likelihood of giving deference or uh, to, you know, so I can't really yeah. bother with that one. Yeah. But someone who looks like me, Easy. You know, they don't really deserve right. um, any respect. Right. Um, they don't even deserve to live. Mm -hmm. Right? It's easy for me to think that way with the people who look like me, um, but not with the people who don't look like mm. me. Why is that? Right. And, and um, part of that is, um, I think, us having been disconnected so completely from our ancestry, but our ancestry is there. Right. And so we have this massive confusion that exists within ourselves yeah. about who I really am, who am I, right. um, what is my worth. Mm -hmm. Um, that you know, you know something's not right, uh, but you don't know what it really is. Right. Um, and you act out in a particular way. Um, uh, you know, there's another writer who said that you know people can um, die from a lack of uh, a lack of opportunity. A lack of I think he said people can die from a lack of bread, but also from a lack of opportunity, and they'll kill for it too. Like if they don't have, when you don't have this sense of purpose and belonging and ancestry, that becomes a very important part of understanding yourself. Right. Um, there's this sense of yourself in the world that is mm. off, mm -hmm. um, and and you just act out. Right. You act out. Right. In, in violent ways. Yep. Um, so. One of the things, that, one of the other things that I believe we need to do is to connect um, people who look like us to where we came from. Mm. And if they get connected to where we came from, 
how they see themselves and what they understand about themselves would right. be so fundamentally different right. that they would know that the person who looks like them um, is just as valuable yeah. as everybody else. That, that in the spirit they know that they don't yeah. have to. Yeah. They don't have to imagine it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't have to psych themselves into thinking that. Mm-hmm. They just know it because, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We come from uh, complicated philosophy. We come from our own faith. We come from amazing artists. Uh, we come from leaders. We come from a place that's amazingly fertile. Right. We come from a place that has landscapes that you won't see anywhere else in the world. We right. come from all of these things that, um, as opposed to, we come from poverty, we come from famine, yeah. we come from war, yeah. we come from corruption, mm-hmm. we come from disease. Yeah. Those five things. Yeah. No, no, because when you mention that continent, that's what people, those are the five yeah, that people certainly. think about. They don't certainly. think about the other stuff. Yeah. But you, you throw out, you know, you mention Africa, and these, those things, five things come up. You mentioned Europe. Right. The, the opposite. Yeah, 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 for sure. Why is that? True. Why is that? There's True. been a concerted True. effort to implant this, and so when you go and you see that what you've been taught to believe is so different, you go, right. oh. Oh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you well read? That's a, that's a relative question. I like to read. Okay. I like to read, so yeah. yeah. You're reading self help, buddy? I don't read a lot of self-help. Okay. Um, and I, I haven't read a lot of self-help. I've read some. Okay. So when I was very young, I used to like to listen to um, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. Okay. Uh, and I would listen to uh, Dale Carnegie. Okay. And I, when I was young, early in my career, I read uh, Dale Carnegie's book, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. People. Right. Seminal book. Yeah. Helped me an enormous amount. Yes. Um, the book that um, resonated with me even more was by John Johnson. What's the title? Uh, which is Succeeding Against the Odds. Mm. John Johnson is the guy that started Jet and Ebony Magazine. Okay, okay. Um, and, uh, and then I also uh, read a book by Reg Lewis that's called... Um, why should white guys have all the fun? <laughs> and Reg Lewis is what I think some people call the first black billionaire. Okay. Um, he was the first black guy to really make a mark um, in the leverage buyout scene in New York. Right, on okay. Wall Street. Right. So he was doing these leverage buyout deals with, um, you know, right up there with these guys like Michael Milken and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, he just happened to be black. He was the only, one of the only black guys doing that. He became extremely um, uh, successful in pursuing that. Right. Um, so I don't read so much self-help books, so-called. Right. I read about the guys who, I said, I think I can learn something from yes. what they did. Let me see what they did and yes. how they did it. Um, uh, I read those. And then I've also read um, uh, books that help me understand how to manage other people. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective right. People. John C. Maxwell, any? Um, I've read John Maxwell, too, so I've had the team. So one of the things that we do here at the firm, at the company, is 
uh, we work on a book periodically. Okay. Um, so we have weekly meetings, and you know, um, periodically we'll pick a book. And so we've been through Dale Carnegie's book, we've been through Stephen Covey's book, we've been through several John Maxwell books. Okay. Um, five levels of leadership, yep. and so on. Yep. So yeah. 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 I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Any anything else? To apply? No, that's good. You got it. I'm good. Yeah. Well, Lawrence Boscombe, we've had such a great conversation. I so appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. No problem. Uh, You've been listening to another episode of the AFL Brand Podcast. And so we'll see you on the next one. Okay. So tell me about about your business and tell me about how you ended up in it.